Today's show is on meditation. Meditation is an intentional practice where we use focus to increase calmness, concentration, awareness, and emotional balance. It's really about getting a healthy sense of perspective. The goal isn't always to stop your thoughts or feelings, rather, observe them without judgment. About 80% of us are going to suffer from a mental health condition at some point in our life, and about 20% are coping with the condition right now. So learning about tools we can add to our repertoire to help is important now more than ever. To help guide us through meditation is Jesse Sterling. Jesse grew up in Newfoundland and has had a busy career in media and speaking. One of his main areas of interest is in meditation, where he performed a TEDx talk in St. John's a few years back. But that's only the tip of the iceberg for him, as we'll learn. He's worked with and interviewed some of the most influential New Age spiritual leaders, authors, and mentors. He's spoken internationally and traveled around the world to study meditation. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks a lot, Mike. So you live in one of the busiest cities in the world, where you live in L.A. with your family. And that's got to be quite stressful at the best of times. But you have roots here in Newfoundland. What got you interested in meditation and spirituality? Does some experiences here or away? My journey is unique in that I started in the practice of meditation very young in life. I was initiated into the practice at the age of four. And that sounds very fancy. It just means that someone wiser and older than me taught me how to meditate when I was four. And my family were kind of, my mom and dad were super hippies. We traveled around. I was born in San Francisco. But at that point, we were living in the high Himalayas of northern India and actually ended up having my fifth and seventh birthdays there and spending a large chunk of my youth at a small ashram, a collective of meditators in the high Himalayas of India. That's just wild. And uh, and you recently uh, gave, because you also resided here in Newfoundland, you gave a TEDx talk on the topic. And I loved how you walked people through meditation, because the example you gave was about life gives you ebbs and flows, and, and that meditation is about sort of recognizing what's going on at, at this moment. Like, Can you summarize the, the key points of your TED talk? Well, one of the key takeaways from my TED Talk, I think, is that it was called Two Eyes, Two Lungs, and Two Minutes, and that we have the opportunity anywhere in the world we're placed geographically for free, no matter what our cultural background, no matter what our spiritual and religious underpinnings, even if we don't have any. It's a practice of meditation that you can lay on top of any belief system you currently hold, and it doesn't need to be two hours or four hours or six hours in a dark cave in the Himalayas with sitar music playing and wearing flowing robes with a mala beat. You can sit two minutes and take some deep breaths and give your eyes a rest anywhere on planet Earth. And it's so important to do that, to give your nervous system a rest. So that was one. And then the second and final point would just be that you can create a gap. Our nature is to have input from the world and immediately react upon it, either that's the intellectual decision or an emotional oftentimes decision. And what meditation does, it just gives you that little pause, the power of the pause to really make a better decision, not be swept up in maybe sometimes crummy, fast, irrational thinking or toxic negative emotions. Right. And so meditation, uh, I think meditation and mindfulness are, are similar, but not quite the same 
what what is meditation itself? These are a great point. I'll do the distinction first. I think mindfulness is getting clearly and 100% immersed in the present moment. So that might look like staring at a flower for a couple minutes. It's more of a Tibetan Buddhist style of meditation. It's fully engaged with your senses, but you're not doing anything. You're breathing deep and you're trying to chill out by fully immersing in the present moment. It can be a sound of a bell or the sight of a candle or again, a flower or something. Meditation is more of a transcending of your conscious mind. That sounds really fancy, but basically what it is, is we're all familiar. There's four states of consciousness. We are awake, walking as we're doing now. We can be sleeping and having dreams. We can be sleeping and having no dreams, deep sleep. And there's a fourth state of consciousness called meditation, which is where you're not sleeping, but you're also not using your senses. You're sitting comfortably with eyes closed. Maybe you're doing some deep breathing. And it's those little gaps between the thoughts. Sometimes people even have them when they're hiking and when they're driving. I don't recommend it, but that, we've all had that moment. Whoa, I was just driving for 10 seconds. Where was my mind? Those little moments are when you're in the meditative state. Of course, I'm more into sitting comfortably with eyes closed and uh, fully transcending that way rather than having little fleeting moments here and there. Yeah, right. And I mean, I think that some people may not even realize they're meditating when they take a hike on the East Coast Trail and then they stare out and, you know, are looking over at this amazing vista. And they're just, they're just, they're kind of forgetting where they are for a second. They're taking it all in, they're smelling, they're seeing, and, uh, and they're listening. And I think that that is something that people may not even realize that it's a huge part of their life, even though it's not as formal as some people may think. It's this wonderful concept that Eckhart Tolle articulates called the power of now meaning all we really have is the present moment. If you're feeling anxiety, you're probably living in your head in the future and filled with worry. If you're filled with guilt and regret, you're playing those old movies from the past again and again. Guess what? We don't have a time machine, so we can't go into the past and change things. Tomorrow isn't promised. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. There's a great quote in the Bible, tomorrow has its own worries. Just worry about today. All we can control is the present moment, and it's called the present because it's a gift. And I'll think with another, a little quote from Alan Watts, who brilliantly said, any activity you're engaged in that you're not caring about the outcome or the result, that can almost be considered a meditation. So again, that beautiful picture you painted of hiking on the East Coast Trail, and you're looking at the sun and the horizons, you're not attached to the results. You're not trying to beat any kind of personal record. You're just immersed in the moment, and it feels great. It's this feeling of relaxing peace better than happiness because <laughs> happiness will always go up and down and end one day. So I think that you, you kind of hit it earlier when you talked about, you know, like, you know, being at the sitar music and being in the Himalayas. And I think there's some misconceptions around meditation and really who it's for. What, what are some of the biggest sort of roadblocks people have like to get into a meditative practice because they, they just, they're just thinking it's something that it isn't. Well, I want to also say I'm not against beads and beards and robes and, Whatever, you know, gets you to meditate and gets you to sit for a few minutes or even a few hours per day, it's really the best and highest use of your time. You work on yourself, you improve yourself, and the world improves. And then I'll repeat what I said earlier. It doesn't go against any religious or spiritual tradition. It's just an activity that you can lay on top of it. Now, for some people, it is a spiritual 
guideposts for them, and I have no problem with that. That's beautiful. That's great. But you don't have to make it a spiritual practice. You don't have to make it a religious practice. You can treat it as a nap. You can treat it as an exercise. What you're doing is you're giving your nervous system a break, enabling you to recharge your faculties, ego, intellect, mind, and your senses. So you're rejuvenated and can have maximum power for the rest of the day. And it can be a two-minute recharge or it can be a two-hour recharge. What I was going to say was that it's almost like a, a daily practice is important for that. And I had a friend one time who told me that if you don't have uh, 10 minutes a day to meditate or focus on your breathing, then you really need to spend an hour doing it a day. Uh, and what do you think he meant by that? I think that we're <laughs> the busiest people are the ones that need meditation the most because their brains are going so fast in a million miles a minute. And that's our society. We're taught to cherish multitasking. Go, go, go. Don't just sit there. Do something. I'm flipping the script. I'm saying don't just do something. Sit there. If you actually take a break for a few moments, your energy level, the clarity of your thinking, your planning, all that is going to be better to make you more efficient at doing all of your tasks. So I think that quote drives the point home that, look, if you can't have 10 minutes to dig up, you probably got to reorganize your life and reorganize the way you're living your life and your focus. You're too busy. You're too scattered. You're too frantic. One practical point I'll end with is that I know single moms and some people literally don't have 10 minutes. I get that. But you can always take 10 minutes in the bathtub or the shower You can drive in your car and arrive somewhere early and put it in park and sit for five or seven minutes in the driver's seat and have a nice meditation. You don't have to have this perfect three-hour session in nature with birds chirping. You can just grab two or three minutes here and there, and it really recharges you. That's great, and we're gonna—I'm gonna ask you to guide us through a little meditation a little later on because I think that people need to understand what that is. Why do you think there's such a huge interest in this now? Because meditation, uh, yoga. Mindfulness, these things are at the front of wellness right now in the world. It certainly has changed a lot. As I was born in 1971, and I got teased a lot that my parents meditated, and my grandfather, Jeff Sterling, oh, he was cracking. He would eat vegetarian food and stand on his head and heard he's into yoga, and it all had a bit of a stigma to it. And you're right. It's kind of become the cool thing now. It's at the forefront, and I think it's because we're so busy With our lives, we're looking for a higher sense of fulfillment and peace. As you indicated, I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm right in Beverly Hills, which is supposed to be the epicenter of wealth and success and symbolic of you've made it. I've never been around a group of more unhappy, stressed out people. It just looks like they're constantly longing for something. It's because they've achieved everything the world told them they should achieve. They made a lot of money. They have a big house, the cars, the family a job with status, and yet they still feel this emptiness and this longing within them. And that's the only thing that self-peace and meditation can give you, is I have something that no billionaire has, enough. (laughs) It teaches you to have enough, because human desires are unlimited. Even if you have the best meal of your life, the next morning you're worried about topping it. You buy a new car, in a week the joy is worn off and you're already dreaming about the next dream car. Human desire is limitless. But you can, through meditation, briefly commune with this beautiful, unchanging space, which is pure free forever. 
the reason we have a health and wellness show here now is because we're really trying to tap into the fact that we've got a lot of opportunity to be healthy here, but unfortunately our province doesn't have the best health when it comes to the rest of Canada and other parts of the world. What are some of the big health benefits that you think people could gain by starting a meditation practice? Well, the first immediate is de-stressing. You know, I've had a minor heart attack, and I think part of that might have been related to stress, probably most of the genetics, but a little bit stress. And here's this guy who teaches meditation, who talks about meditation, who's been meditating since he was four. I'm 49 now. So it doesn't make you invincible, and meditation doesn't take away all the problems of your life. But what it does do is it gives you this sense of inner power and charges you up. Physical benefits would include that lack of stress. My blood pressure got noticeably lower. My heart rate through all the deep breathing and all the yoga I've done has gotten – my doctor actually asked me, do you run marathons? Do you do triathlons? You have the lowest resting heart rate I've ever felt, and I think that's because of all the meditation I've done. And, and I'll mention a quick study, and it just indicates kind of how you react to life. They, I found this study so interesting. They, they hooked up a bunch of video game players. I said can get into a meditative zone flow state where they're so locked in on their game. And then they had a bunch of meditators in a different room sitting on the couch. And about 45 minutes into the experience, they said it was going to last an hour, letting them be deeply immersed in their activity. They created a huge racket around them, dropped a bunch of pots and pans from the ceiling. And the meditators barely flinched. (laughs) Maybe a few would open their eyes. Most didn't even open their eyes, continued to meditate, whereas everyone playing this video game where they're supposedly totally immersed and locked in on, all of them jumped out of their shorts and leapt off the couch and screamed and were obviously surprised and shocked. The point of the study was, and the point of my story is, that it just meditation allows you to react to those bumps and bruises and ups and downs of life much better. You don't have to buy into every negative thought when you're trying to fall asleep at night. Hey, let's replay all your most embarrassing moments. No, you say, brain, thoughts, I'm going to not follow those movies right now. And I'm going to, instead of this, I choose peace. That's a mantra I say to myself a lot. Instead of this, I choose peace. And one more thought that I had just to close out. um, When I teach, I use the analogy of technology a lot. We live in such a technologically driven world. And in fact, I had Dale Jarvis interviewed him a while ago for my show, and I thought it was so interesting, you know, crop circles that UFOs apparently supposedly create now. Back 500 years ago, they were in Newfoundland and in the UK, and they used to call them fairy circles. (laughs) And uh, I guess 400 years ago, uh, fairy circles. So we used to ascribe the kind of magical, mysterious things of life to more kind of fairies and elves and monsters and angels and demons. Now everything has a scientific root. So when I teach, a lot of people like my scientific technological analogies. And when we pause for five minutes to seven minutes in meditation, it's just like rebooting our iPhones. When our iPhones begin to slow down and you see that dreaded little beach ball spinning, you don't try to keep giving it more input and try to do more and more and more activity. What do you do? You unplug it and you plug it back in. You reboot. You reset. And so that's what I think meditation does. It gives you that pause, and ultimately the health benefit is that you got lower stress, more energy to deal with the inevitable ups and downs of life. 
Okay, so that's great because that those health benefits are critically important, and you mentioned a lot of key things that are risk factors for Newfoundland: the self heart conditions, blood pressure, resting heart rate. Just for the scientific side of your of your brain right now, what happens physiologically as somebody enters, like starts to meditate, and then what happens as they meditate to their body, and some of those physiological measures that we would typically look at. It's very interesting. Something called a theta state, where you become more uh, it's like a healing state that you enter. And funny enough, you get pretty close to this state, uh, again, when you're in deep sleep or when you're fully engaged in an activity and not thinking about it. Or even if you're watching TV, you can get in these very passive, receptive modes. But your body is going from a mode where it's seeking input. What does it smell like? What does it look like? What, is it, what does it hear like? That's why People close their eyes traditionally when they meditate, why these beautiful blankets were developed so your body can be the right temperature and maybe keep the flies away. Incense was developed so bad smells would stay away. And you'd be in this little cocoon of bliss so that your senses don't have to work and you're in a rest mode. You're in a rejuvenation mode. Our poor bodies work so hard for us all day, not to mention our minds in this fast, crazy, fast-paced society So it's just that pause that refreshes. You take a dip in that ocean of peace of absolute bliss consciousness for a couple minutes. So that's what's going on with your body. Then you come back into your body and you're thinking in your waking state and you can take on the world. Right. And you're you're just more prepared because you're not already triggered by other things, which I think is interesting because when you talk about the video game players versus the other thing, they they're, they might be intent on something, but typically blood pressure would be higher, heart rate would be higher. They'd be almost be like a stress response, stress hormones pulsing through their body as opposed to the meditative state, which would be quite the opposite as opposed to like turning you on. It's kind of slowing you down. And when you hit stress later on in life, you're, 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 you've got something to build on. You've got room there as opposed to already being at your max and then somebody makes something stressful and they have this viciously scared reaction to it. That just makes perfect sense to me. You're not letting yourself get into the red, so to speak. You're not letting yourself get into the danger zone. They say that patience is just energy in reserve. So you're giving yourself that energy in reserve so you can deal with people more patiently and more lovingly. So what does the scientific literature say about the health benefits of meditation? Well, for those who suffer from cancer symptoms and treatment side effects, mind-body therapies such as meditation have been shown to help relieve anxiety, stress, fatigue, and general mood and sleep disturbances, therefore improving the quality of life of patients. A literature review and scientific statement from the American Heart Association suggested evidence that supported the use of transcendental meditation as a complementary therapy along with standard treatment to lower blood pressure. A 2010 scientific literature review found that yoga, tai chi, and meditation-based programs may be helpful in reducing common menopausal symptoms, including the frequency and intensity of hot flashes, sleep and mood disturbances, stress, and muscle and joint pain. Mindfulness meditation programs improve anxiety, depression, and pain. And evidence shows that they improve stress and mental health-related quality of life. It's also been shown to help with irritable bowel syndrome, improve ADHD symptoms, and even help us quit smoking. Well, you have had the opportunity through a lot of your work in media to interview some real spiritual and and meditation mindfulness leaders um, from around the world. Some of the biggest names like uh, like, uh, Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer and Eckhart Tolle. Um, What 
if you were to give the Coles Notes version on some of those really influential people, what would be some things that you've learned from them uh, that's, that's made a difference in your life? Oh, great question. Three of amazing, inspiring teachers in my life who've all been absolutely prolific with their writing. So to try to briefly summarize them, I, I'll do it in chronological order, the order that I met him, Wayne Dyer. And so the, the main lesson I learned from him, or what he talked about a lot in that interview, is are you familiar with that book, The Secret? Yes. That, that concept of uh, The Secret is basically that what we envision we draw to us. What frequency we vibrate at as human beings we tend to draw similar kind of experiences to us. If we think everyone's nasty and mean in John's Newfoundland and we move to Toronto, we're probably going to think everyone's nasty and mean there too. If you think everyone's wonderful, you're going to draw those kind of experiences. So it's so important that basically everything in the universe is energy, everything vibrates at a certain frequency, and you attract experiences of similar frequency. That's the core of the secret, positive thinking, essentially. But what I loved about it is Wayne said, because he co-wrote the book, he said they got a big part wrong. Really, what you want to do with the secret, I'll use an example. You want that new car, so you visualize it and what the texture of it looks like, how the interior smells. You envision yourself in that. But that doesn't mean the car is going to magically appear in your driveway. What you have to do is the universe works in a way it will give you ideas how to make the money to then buy that car. And guess what? That usually requires a lot of planning, a lot of goal setting, and a lot of hard work. So it's a bit magic in that the universe gives you ideas, but most of it is practical goal setting and hard work. So I appreciated that from, from Wayne. And his quote that always stuck with me is, don't die with your music still inside you. Most people lead lives of quiet desperation. There's all these dreams we have unfulfilled, all these things we want to try, but maybe we don't have the gumption to do it. His whole rap was just do it. Life is short. Write your book. Compose your song. Take your trip. Do the charity work. What are you waiting for? If it is to be, it is up to me. So don't die with your music still inside of you. That was my meeting with Wayne, and that was a special one because he was also one of the first real people with name and fame that I'd interviewed. I got a, a couple of bigger names like Michio Kaku, who has a CNN show. He's a quantum physicist. Alex Gray, who's a trippy visionary artist who does all the Tool album covers. I've had a couple of people with name and fame, but in that spiritual world, it's like dominoes following. The first question someone asks you is, who else have you interviewed? And when I could say I had Wayne Dyer in my belt. He was a hard get, as I mentioned. He wasn't doing interviews and hadn't done any for five years. Suddenly, it was that much easier to get Deepak Chopra, and it was that much easier to get Eckhart Tolle, and I've gone on to interview The Rock and Matt Damon and Tom Hanks and a bunch of characters now. But getting back to Deepak, and this was also in Newfoundland, so there was this event in Torbay that Josh Dawson from the IMG Foundation has organized, and Deepak Chopra came to Newfoundland. He'd always been a real hero of mine, not because I think he's some blown guru space. He's basically a very astute medical doctor. I saw him. I was the opening speaker and went on tour with him. He did 12 different speeches that were all exactly the same, the same 295 PowerPoints, the same uh, ad-lib jokes. You know, he's He's not a guru space in that um, Eckhart Tolle is so blown out, he doesn't even know where the stage is, quite literally. Someone leads him to the stage. He doesn't know where he's going to start. He doesn't know where the rap's going. He doesn't know when it's going to end. 
someone kind of indicates a little thing on stage. You have two minutes left. He'll just go for two, three hours straight. Deepak is more of like a regimented, articulate, studied guy. But why he's a hero to me is he really was the catalyst to make meditation not something that gets made fun of. Here's a mainstream medical doctor who's on CNN saying that meditation is good for you. And I really feel that kind of removed a lot of that stigma. He really tipped it in that direction. And I, one, uh, there's so much that I learned from Deepak. I, I, I love the, his raps about dharma, which is the notion that we all have a certain purpose in life. Look, the universe can get so overwhelming and that it's infinitely big. And we're just a tiny speck of a speck of a piece of dirt microscopic and no one's going to care about our lives in a hundred years from now. And so what's the point of it all? And the point of it all is Dharma. And that means that if you are putting yourself in the right place and using all your God giving abilities to their maximum, the wind of life blows through you as if you were a flute and creates the most beautiful music and harmony. So I, I love that concept of just trying to find that place in life where it's the best and highest use of your time and talents. It is once you realize life is not a prison sentence, life is this miraculous gift we're given to be consciousness piloting a meat-covered skeleton <laughs> around planet Earth. What an incredible yeah. movie. That was my grandfather's whole rap. It's all a movie, buddy. And you're the director of your own movie and the star of your own movie and the hero of your own movie, even the costume designer and the script writer. So make it a great movie. For, for those people that have never tried meditating, one of the things we have a great opportunity to do right now is to have you guide us through a simple meditation, the, like the one you did for the TEDx talk. Um, uh, and just a quick warning, if anybody wants to try this, if you're driving, pull over and get yourself a nice safe place to, to sit back and relax, uh, because I think it's uh, I think it's something that people could really benefit from. So I'm just going to hand it over to you and let you run with a, a quick meditation people can do. Thanks, Mike. Um, before we get into it, yeah, you want to be sitting comfortably. A lot of questions usually arise. How do I put my legs? Do I need to be cross-legged? No. You sit however is comfortable to you. Can you use a chair? Yes, absolutely. You have arthritis or something's going to cause you to start thinking about your body more if you want to put it in a certain position. Don't force anything. And that's really a good mantra and something to keep in mind for the whole meditation practice. It's meant to be pleasant. It's not meant to be something that is unpleasant. You force yourself to do, punish yourself by sitting in the corner. So start with a very low amount of time. If you're starting an exercise program or running or lifting weights, you wouldn't try to jump in at an Olympic level. So we're not going to try to do a couple hours of meditation right now. We're going to do a couple minutes. Um, a couple other notes uh, of words you might have heard. Mantra, mala, and mutra. So I'll touch on each one of those before we go into the guided meditation. Mantra, literally translated, means mind release. And that's a little phrase that you can say to yourself over and over again. Um, it can be pure, free, forever, pure, free, forever. It can be love, love, love. My mantra is amaram hum, maduram hum. It means my soul is immortal, my soul is blissful. So it's positive messaging over and over. But more than that, it's a trick to keep your mind occupied. And a quick story that brings that concept to life is in Hindu 
text, they talk about a farmer and a demon. And the demon said to the farmer, I will grant you infinite wishes, but you just have to keep me working the whole time because if I'm alone or have downtime for one minute, I'll eat you and I'll eat your family. And the farmer said, deal. Give me a palace. Give me more farms. Give me horses. Give me riches. And so after a couple of days, he realized he was out of things to wish for. So he asked the demon, he said, I want you to go to that tree and climb to the top of it. And when you get to the top of the tree, I want you to climb back down to the bottom. And when you get to the bottom, you want to climb back to the top. So hopefully that analogy comes clear now, and I've landed my point, that the demon is your mind. And if you leave it alone for a while, it'll start to eat you, and it'll take you down all sorts of daydreams and all sorts of worries, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you give it a little trick to climb up that tree and climb down that tree, climb up the tree, climb down the tree, which is just repeating something. So and then even like my father-in-law, who's in his 80s, learned to meditate, and he loved to just say to himself, you repeat it quietly in your head, I am breathing in, I am breathing out. I am breathing in, I am breathing out. It gave his mind something to do, and then also he reminded himself to take breath in and out. So that's mala. Um, that's, I'm sorry, that's mantra. Mala is just those beads which you see meditators wear sometimes. You absolutely don't need them. If you're a little fidgety like me, I tend to not be the type of brain that would fall asleep during meditation. I'm more prone to being chunchill, of fidgety, my brain flitting around to different flights of fancy. And just having those beads can really help you channel your nervous fidgety energy. So it's very similar to the rosary. You're just saying a little prayer with each bead and moving it around. Final one quickly is the hand position, the mutra. And, you know, we've seen Buddha with his complex of palms up or palms down or making the okay signs. And I don't think we need to get too worried about that at this point. Uh, essentially, I love what my teacher taught me. He said, look, if you're feeling hot, rest your hands upwards on your legs. If you're feeling cold, put your palms downward on your legs, on your thighs, and you just create that beautiful system. So now those, that's your basic background that we can jump into this now. <sighs> We're all sitting down. I'm going to just take a couple minutes right now to direct with meditation. So maybe shake and get your last little wiggles out. And we're going to close our eyes. Take a deep, calming breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. You know, we sigh when we're stressed out, but you can actively control your breathing to de-stress. More deep breaths in and out just to settle our nervous system. In through the nose, out through the mouth. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Let's try a smile meditation for a little bit. Our eyes are closed, but you're just making that physical smile. You're getting your energy attuned to more of the positive. Breathing in and breathing out. Now we're letting go of our thoughts. The thoughts can come and the thoughts can go like we're looking at the beautiful blue sky clouds are coming across our field of vision they're appearing and they're disappearing we give them no mind we're just focusing on that vast blue infinite sky space more thoughts may come appear arise try to get you to play around with them for a little bit 
Don't treat your thoughts like contempt. Don't get mad at yourself. There's nowhere to be, nowhere to go, just you in the space, letting the thoughts come and go, finding the gap between those thoughts. We're looking at the background canvas of the sky space as opposed to individual thoughts coming and going is we get deeper into that space, deeper into that space of love, fulfillment, peace, harmony, that which is unchanging. We're letting the world disappear around us. Nowhere to go, nowhere to be, no thoughts, no worries, just be. Hum, rum, hum, madhuram, hum. Pure, free, forever are you. Pure, free, forever are you. Pure, free, forever. Right in God's lap. All your ancestors, all walkers of the middle path, ascended masters, angels, deities, life force, mother nature, all spirits of good come to us right now, conclude our meditation in that space of peace, that space of happiness, unchanging, settled, wonderful bliss, wonder and delight. As we slowly come out of our meditation, we might want to rub our hands together, activate our body energy, slowly come back into our bodies, not opening the eyes yet. We're going to cup our eyes gently. That heat we just created by rubbing our hands together and blink our eyes slowly open. Take your own time as we come back into our bodies. As we come back into time, we're leaving that space that is infinite, unborn, unchanging, and undying, and coming back into the world of things and forms with more vigor, with more energy and alertness, with less stress, worry, and agitation. The world is ours to enjoy, have fun with. I am part of everything. Everything is part of me. Life is love eternal. Peace. Peace. And that's meditation. You've all just done it. <laughs> that's great. I love that. that you know, it's something. It's it's different, Jesse. Like it's different. You can do that. You can do the mantra of "I breathe in, I breathe out," and you can do anything that keeps your mind on it. I think that that's just important. People be exposed to that because it's something that when you do it regularly, it's it's something you can use as a little bit of a as a as a I don't know a, a relief from the day to day. It's a it's a wonderful habit, and it's called a practice. You know, it's a yoga practice. It's a meditation practice. It doesn't mean you do it one time and you're perfect. It doesn't mean you do it one time and it's done. It's it's a lifestyle. Bring it back to home for a bit with Newfoundland and Labrador. You know, we have some challenges for health. But it's also a challenging time here. You know, we can't travel out of the Atlantic bubble. Um, there's a lot of financial uncertainty and economic uncertainty and things like that, and people are definitely feeling stress. And also, people have been um, 
forced to be separate than a lot of other folks, and we're a very social part of the world, probably one of the most social places in the world. What are these things going to add to people's life when it comes to their mental health? I think you're absolutely right. This is the most stressful, uncertain time of our lives. And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, of the lockdown, of the shelter in place, there was a little bit of a spirit of, look, if you don't learn a second language and how to play an instrument and get a six pack, you're just a loser. You don't have your act together. You've been waiting for this free time your whole life. And here's the free time. What are you going to do with it? I'm really happy that the emphasis isn't on that anymore because I have been so emotional during these past six months. I've gone through denial. I've gone through a lot of anger that the situation was happening and I can't take my two-year-old daughter to the zoo and to the beach and how can hiking trails be closed and then went into a real depression for a couple of weeks. And, and, you know, I'm just finally at that acceptance place. Now, the point being is that you are allowed to feel stressed out by this. This is a stressful, uncertain situation. But what I always remind myself is this little, I hear my teacher's voice in my head saying, the world has never offered peace. The world has always been a place of struggle, of gain, loss, up, down, victory, defeat, happy and sad. So it's just the the carousel is spinning a little crazier and a little wilder than usual, but it's still that whole dance of illusion, the dance of the Maya, as they call it in India. All that is still going on with the world. So it makes it even more important than ever to take those couple minutes a day to climb inside yourself and take the journey. Because if, if we're financially unstable, it doesn't cost anything to do. We can't be with other people. This is something you can do by yourself. It can be a group activity. Uh, when two or more people are gathered together with the energy of a spiritual kind of stress relief pursuit, you feel that contagious good vibes around you. You can support each other. I've also heard the analogy or a picture painted. If you're a new meditator, meditating with more experienced meditators can help. You're like a young sapling just trying to put its roots in, but you're surrounded by these mighty oaks that kind of can shelter out some of those other breezes and weather and all the distractions of the world. It's, it's easier to take roots with your meditation practice if you're practicing with people who've been doing it longer than you. Just like any sport, just like working out or running or playing golf, you kind of rise to the level of the people you're exercising with. So don't try to be a perfectionist. The most important thing is just to try it it comfortably, close your eyes, you have two eyelids to close, two lungs to breathe deep, and just take two minutes. You'll feel wonderful, and you'll see that two minutes will grow to five, will grow to seven. Soon you'll be wanting to do it first thing in the morning and the last thing before you go to bed and throughout the day just to rest your nervous system. Even our eyes, which spend so much time on computer screens now, giving your eyes a break, oh, you'll just feel great. I encourage everyone to try it. And if just one person starts meditating based off my talk, oh, you've made me so happy. Mission accomplished. I love that. Um, I, I guess the last thing I would just play, uh, say thing is so somebody starts to work on, on, their, on their mental health with meditation, things like that, just how important is the rest of the interplay with, with diet and exercise and the rest of lifestyle with, with your practice? What a wonderful point to close on, because I've always enjoyed yoga teachers when they're concluding a class 
we do a bit of meditation and a bit of deep breathing, and they say, remember, your yoga practice begins now. The yoga practice begins when you leave the mat. Are you leading your life as a yogi? Are you leading your life as a meditator? And I, I love this notion. Uh, it's been hammered home to me again and again by my teacher is with meditation, you don't need to drop anything. Don't worry about stopping anything. Just add the meditation. And believe it or not, the more you meditate, other things will start dropping away naturally. You spend more time self-reflecting, you'll realize, I I have this toxic person in my life. Sometimes bottled up feelings come out. It can be a lot of grief that hasn't been processed and you just kind of stuff down. It could be anger, it could be jealousy, or have these wild emotions arise because you're dealing with them. You're not giving yourself more and more and more input, fast, fast, fast data. Your spinning wheel, your beach ball wheel can't keep up with anything. No, you're unplugging. There's no new input coming in. So your toxic emotions residing inside of you can be dealt with, can be processed. And I am a big believer that a lot of dis-ease is dis-ease. It's unprocessed emotions in our body. And so I, my personal journey has been uh, once I started meditating a lot, um, excessive drinking alcohol went away, excessive smoking went away, excessive meat eating went away. I wish I could say I was a perfect vegan yogi. I'm not, I, but I now use meat as if it was a treat, as if it was a dessert when my body is truly feeling like it needs it. I, hopefully I have more compassionate compassion towards my fellow person, um, more compassion towards animals and how animals are being treated. And overall, as a society, I think this is the dawning of a new age of consciousness, this turmoil we're experiencing right now with social unrest and with health and safety measures that have been unprecedented. It's really, it, it's the turbulent birth pangs of a new society being born, a society that is more mindful, is more compassionate, is more meditative, is more tuned into Mother Earth wanting to live more in harmony with this planet, leave a better earth for our grandchildren. So it's, it's overwhelming to try to make the world a better place. But what you can do is make yourself a better person and how I've been able to hopefully try to make myself a better person is through this practice of meditation. That even though the goal is no thought, let's face it, a lot of times there are thoughts and sometimes those thoughts will be helpful. They'll go, you know, you're getting into meditation and your mind might be saying, oh, I forgot to answer that email. Oh, I wonder if I turn my lights off at home in my oven. Oh, my gosh, I owe that person a, a letter. I really need. And then they'll get a little deeper. Mm, I really like to hang out with my mom. I haven't seen her for a month. And, oh, I really miss this person in my life. So there'll be these, these wisdom internally will speak to you. And if you're making yourself a better person, the whole world is going to be better around you. And so, hence, you know, you're just kind of raising your own vibration in an effort to help everyone raise theirs. All we can, you never can really change anyone. We only can change ourselves. If you're looking for that one person who's going to come and change your life, you've got to look in the mirror. And so, mm. hopefully, after you've spent this time with us, which I appreciate so much, dear listener, and when you do look in that mirror, you'll say, I'm going to try meditating. It doesn't sound that hard. It doesn't sound that scary. Hopefully, I've demystified it a little bit. And something that you do want to spend two or five or seven minutes with. The results are wonderful.
That's great. Well, no better person to talk about it than you. I hope you and your family are doing well and staying safe uh, in California. And I look forward to when you get back home. Well, thank you, Mike, for this talk. We miss Newfoundland very much. We can't wait to get back. And I just want to give infinite love to all your listeners. And I give you deep and hearty encouragement as you begin this journey into the practice of meditation. Just go for it. You'll love it. You have nothing to lose except for stress, worry, and agitation. Love you all. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank Jesse for joining us today and sharing his appreciation of meditation in such a practical, understandable, and wonderful way. I hope you all take a few minutes to try that practice yourself and take that much-needed break from the world. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Health and Wellness Show on your VOCM.